Am I on? I'm going. All right. We're good. We're live. All right. Everybody in YouTube land can hear now. All right. So, um, so yeah. So we're going to be dedicating it. So what, what, we'd, what we'd ask is before you leave here, I mean, and this is in particular if you know them. If you don't know them, I mean, you could write something, I guess, if you want. But this is more for the church family to write. And there's a bunch of sheets. So just grab a pen and just write a, a note, to a, a blessing, a prayer, or whatever to, to Parker and Alexander. And then they can you know, file those things away, and so it'll be kind of a, a neat opportunity for us to uh, show them our support and encouragement, and we'll talk more about that at the end of the service today. But um, So yeah, so that's uh, super cool and exciting. Um, so what we're doing is we're going through the book of John. So if you're just now joining us, you're uh, just uh, a week late. We just started last uh, Sunday, and we're bouncing back and forth between uh, going through it in here and then uh, kind of picking up where we left off um, at home, in our small groups, and then coming back in here. So where we all should be at, hopefully, um, whether you're in your small group or, or your own family time or whatever. So we went through John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18 in here last Sunday. You guys should have done 19 through 34. And then I'm going to pick up 35 and go through the end of chapter 1 in here this morning. Now that being said, I had to write the sermon from 34 all the way to, or from 19 all the way <laughs> to 51 because it all was one kind of package deal. So I'm gonna I'm gonna rehit some of the stuff that you guys read about uh, during the week about John the Baptist in particular because what we're gonna see this morning is that John, the author of the Gospel of John, okay, um, the inspired author of the Gospel, um, is talking about John the Baptist. Okay, two different people. I'm going to go back and forth, John and John, for a little bit. I'll try to make sure I'm clear as to who I'm talking about. And what he's going to do is he's going to walk through, he's going to parade in front of us four men. John the Baptist, Andrew, I knew I was going to forget one of these, um, Philip, well, that's what we just watched, and Nathaniel. Okay? And what John is going to do is he, he starts off, right, and he says that Jesus is the word of God, that he spoke, right, and that, that all things were created through him. And then he said that, that Jesus is the light in the darkness, that he comes and he shines light in the dark corners of our lives and in this world. We saw the connections with Genesis, right? And so that's where John, the author, starts off very high level, you know, very a high view of where Jesus, and then these next few verses, he gets and he goes, what do you say about Jesus? What did these men say about Jesus? They confronted him. We just watched, and we'll hit that at the end. We just watched Nathaniel have an interaction with Jesus. And the conclusion of that is that Jesus is the Son of God. And so what we're going to see is that he's going to look at John the Baptist. He's going to look at, uh, I'm going to go through him again, Andrew, and then Philip, and Nathaniel. And they're each going to have a different declaration of who Jesus is based on the interaction that he has with them. And so we get this picture of John basically showing us, who's Jesus to you? Not, not, not in some subjective way. You don't get to pick who Jesus is. Jesus is who he is, but how has he interacted in your life? What's your witness? When we're singing, great is thy faithfulness, what are you thinking about? If you're, if you're older, more mature in the faith, if you're just older, you probably have a lot more times where you go back and you go, he was faithful there, he was faithful there, he was faithful there. If you're younger, 
You may not have those data points, right? You may not have that, that experiential base. And so what, what John is doing here is going, what's your witness about Jesus? In your life, how do you witness about who Jesus is as these gentlemen did? So before we get started, let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for the witness of people that have gone before us, not just biblical witnesses, not just people who saw Jesus face to face, but those family members that introduced us to Christ, the friends, the people in our lives that dragged us to church. Thank you for using us to witness to others. God, the fact that you use us is just mind-boggling. We thank you for that privilege, and we take it seriously. And, and so we pray, Father, that this morning as we, as we read through these, that it would both give us an encouragement of our faith, of what these others have thought and concluded based on you, but that it would encourage us to make the same professions of faith to those around us, to bear witness. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the first 34 verses of John, John the author writes about John the Baptist, and he says that he bears witness. He did it six times. And some of those we covered last week when we were up here, but, but then the rest of them were in here. So there's a very intentional point, right? We talked about this. John the author is writing, we read this in chapter 20, so that you may believe. He's not writing an objective biographical story about Jesus. He is writing something that he believes to be true about Jesus. And he's trying unabashedly to convince you that you should believe too. Now, I know that that, that kind of slaps in the face of culture, right? You can't do that. You shouldn't tell me what to think. But that's exactly what he does. He goes, no, no, no. I'm going to tell you what I believe, and why I believe. And so this is what we see as he parades in front of us these men, and he gives us these firsthand accounts. Now, here's the thing. You don't know any of these men. You don't know them at all. And yet, God uses their testimony about Jesus, their witness of Jesus, to give us faith, to show us what others have believed. You see, sometimes we fall into this trap as Christians, where we go, well, I don't know them well enough. I can't, I can't ask them to come to church. I can't share with them the gospel because I just don't know them. And I have to build this relationship. And frankly, I'm a little bit on that side of, of the fence, if there were, right? And then there's people on a street corner that are, are yelling, right? And, and sharing it to everybody, whether they know them or not. And I'm not... I'm not both of those, I think, are valid ways to communicate. But what we see here is that people that you don't know, God is providing in the Gospel of John to tell you why they believe. And maybe give you a data point to go, why do you believe? And it's funny because we look at this and we go, it just seems weird a little bit. It seems weird that we would just take some randos, random person's opinion about Jesus. Um, and yet, I can probably say that none of you buy any product without knowing if it works first. 
based on the reviews of random people. <laughs> and none of you goes, go to a restaurant, probably, without looking to see what other people that you have no idea what they think about the restaurant. And you certainly don't get into a car with a stranger that's an Uber driver unless they got pretty high stars. I don't know. I've never gone in a car with less than a 4.9. I don't know what I would do if the car showed up and it had like a three star. I'd be like, you know what? I'll walk. <laughs> Why? Because we're taking the testimony, we're taking the witness of these random people that we don't know. And yet when it comes to religion, when it comes to our faith, when it comes to Jesus Christ, we go, well, I don't know. What would it be like if somebody walked in here and these hundred or so people, all of you, all of us were like, this is why I believe, this is why I believe, this is why I believe, this is why I believe. And to somebody who didn't know of Jesus, would that be convincing to them? I think it would. Because all of you are different and you've all had different experiences with Jesus. And so it's the, it's the uh, combination, it's the crowdsourcing, if you will, right? It's, it's the fact that we can't all have these random things, right? Like us together as a group, the church presents this witness of Christ. It's a beautiful thing if we do it. On the other hand, if we delegate it to random dudes, one dude standing on a stage, if we relegate it to, well, go online, here's some YouTube videos, what are we doing? And so this is the dilemma that I think we find ourselves in, that John, the author, is trying to show us, no, go, witness, because look at how powerful these are. And look at what, and Peter picks up on this in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Why do you have hope? That's the question that Peter's presenting here. That somebody that may know you, not well enough to know your reason for your hope, right? So they, they don't know you that well. And they go, why do you have hope? And we go, game time. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why I have hope, right? And so all of us together have the opportunity. So this is what uh, he's doing. All right, so, so here's John the Baptist. So we're going to back up a little bit. I'm going to paraphrase, and then we're going to jump ourselves forward into the next verses. So in verses 19 through 34, we see this witness of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was an Old Testament prophet. You ever think about that? I mean, I know he's written in the New Testament, but he was before Jesus. So it kind of makes him an Old Testament prophet, right? So after 400 years of silence, right, after Malachi, like there's nothing else in the Old Testament. You just flip your page in your Bible and it says the New Testament, right? It's only one page, but it's 400 years of silence. And what were all the prophets doing beforehand? They were telling the people of Israel, repent. Turn from your ways. Turn from your rebellion. Turn to God, right? What does John the Baptist do? He picks right up where they left off and he goes, turn from your ways. Repent. But there's something different about what John does. He has them come out and get baptized. Now, this is a tough one, and we, it's such a part of the, the Christian experience, if you will. It's such a, a fundamental part of probably every church you've ever been to, I, I hope, is baptism. And we read it throughout Acts, right, that, that we are commanded, repent and be baptized, right? Go get baptized. But John's baptizing before Jesus came. 
So here's the funny part about this. People didn't get baptized then. The only people that got baptized were proselytes. Proselytes are people who are foreigners to Israel who are like, I believe in Yahweh. Have you ever thought about that? Right? So you have Israel, you have this group of people that are like, we're the children of God. This is fantastic. You guys aren't. <laughs> Sorry. Right? And so the people that were outside were like, well, I, I, I believe. Well, sorry, you're not genetically Jewish, so tough. So that's where they became proselytes. They would go and they would baptize themselves. And they would cleanse themselves. And they would go, look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm clean. I've turned from my ways. And so this was a declaration that you were an outsider and that you needed to become an insider. And so when John the Baptist gets up and says, hey, you Jews, hey, Israel, you need to come and get baptized. That was like, what do you mean? We are children. We are children of God. Don't, don't question our relationship with God. We are children of God. And Paul picks up on this many years later, and he says, not all that are Israel are Israel. I, I butchered that, but not everyone who calls himself Israel, not all, everybody who says I'm a child, in, uh, son, or a daughter I'm totally messing this up. Not everyone who calls themselves Israel is Israel. Make sense? And so this is where John the Baptist is in. So this was offensive. This was super offensive. And this is why we read, and you probably read this this week, that the Pharisees and everybody's walking out, all the religious elite would walking out going, what are you doing? Who are you? You're not allowed to do this. What authority do you have to do this? This wasn't just some like, hey, you should repent and turn from your sin. It was actually condemning of the Jewish people in large part. And so that is where uh, he starts off. And so what does he do, though? He quotes, um, and again, we'll, we'll back up a little bit here to the, uh, uh, to the verses that you guys read this week. But in, John, or in Isaiah chapter 40, um, this is what John the Baptist declares about himself. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Okay, so what John the Baptist is doing, he's reaching back to the previous prophets, right? Isaiah, hundreds, thousands of years earlier, right? And he says, this, this prophecy, this is about me. It says, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. As far as I know, John brought no mountain down and raised no valley. So what is he talking about? He's talking about hearts. He's talking about bringing down the pride of the religious elite. And it's, it's talking about bringing up the valleys, the hearts of the poor and the impoverished, those, those who are suffering and weak, making the, the path straight for Jesus to come and to be the resolution, the solution, the rescuer of humanity, of our hearts. He didn't come to conquer kingdoms. He didn't come to do all of those things. He came to conquer our hearts, right? And so this is what John the Baptist is saying. This is why I came. I came to prepare the place. I came to prepare a people to have hearts of repentance. Now, I know, like, repentance is not a word we like using often, but you cannot call yourself a child of God and repentance not be a fundamental characteristic of your life. You can't. You're not 
I'm sorry. Like, there is no way you are in this. Because here's the thing. If you're repentant, if you understand your depravity and your rebellion, then you go to the cross for a solution. You go to Jesus who has saved you, rescued you, taken your sins and your rebellion from you. Nobody else has done that. Nobody else could do that. Jesus alone does that. And it's not until we recognize just how jacked up we are do we realize that we really need that. Because a lot of us pretend like we're good. We pretend well. But we know, we really know So what does John say? So John's declaration. So this is the very first witness that we get. So here's John who's been called by God, right? Remember, you guys read this this week. Uh, God speaks to John and he says, go, you're gonna go and baptize. And you're gonna see my Holy Spirit land on one person that you baptize. That's the Messiah. Could you imagine? So here's John, the Baptist, going out going, (laughs) nope, all right, yeah. (laughs) okay right you know i mean that's genuinely how god commissions him to go out and do this and so he's faithfully doing what god called him to do and what do do we read in john chapter 1 verse 29 says the next day he saw jesus coming toward him and said behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of of the world. You see, John knew what he was doing, that he was calling these people to repentance. He knew that it was kind of like setting everybody up for like sorrow. You're bad. <laughs> I don't really have a solution for you, but you need to repent. And that's basically what he was saying. There's there's God's going to do something And so when God shows up, when Jesus arrives, he goes, this is the Lamb of God. He's going to take away your sins. This is the solution. You see, prior to that, he he didn't probably connect all the dots of how God was going to solve this problem. He just knew that a Messiah was going to come. And so John declares that he is the Lamb of God. Now, if you you know some of your Old Testament, um, this was kind of the idea of a scapegoat. Every year, the Jews would put their sins, the ones that they didn't know about, okay, right? We all know about a lot of our sins, but we also commit sins that we don't even know about, right? So this is what they would do. They would go, hey, everything else that I haven't talked about, put it on this goat. And then they would send the goat off into the forest, right? And they would go, there, we took away our sins. And then they'd do it again the next year, right? And this is what God had instituted for them as a pointer, as a prophecy as looking forward to what the final lamb of god who takes away your sins and he never you never get them back he takes away the sins that you're going to commit tomorrow and so this is where john concludes he is the lamb of god and he takes away the sins of the world not just israel okay you see how you put all these things together now all of a sudden it's like okay john the baptist sees where this was going, and he goes, this is my declaration of who Jesus is. All right, so what happens next? Now we're going to catch up to the verse I'm supposed to cover. Verse uh, 35, it says, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, behold the Lamb of God. So he's, he's, he's saying this in multiple days, right? So John's disciples are like, you said this yesterday. He's like, yeah, this is a big deal, right? 
The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And so what we see off the get-go is that John the Baptist, who has people following him, and we don't know exactly how long, but he had disciples. And he goes, that, that guy right there, he's the Lamb of God. He's already baptized him, right? Like, and we can go read that in uh, Matthew, right? But like, so he goes, there's the Lamb of God. And two of his disciples are like, see you, John. And John's good with this. And we see later on, right? He says, I must decrease, he must increase, right? There's, there's some real genuine humility. John the Baptist understands what his job is. It's a very small piece of the pie of what God wants to have happen. It says that in verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. That's like 4 p.m. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. All right. So what do you see out of that? So first, they end up staying the night with him, right? It's like 4 p.m. and they're like, it's late. We don't know what they talked about. But you have Andrew and then one other person. They're both disciples of John, and they both follow Jesus. And, but did you, did you notice what Jesus says? He says, come and you will see. It's a very ordinary expression, except it's going to get used again later as we read this morning. John, the author here, is really trying to emphasize, kind of like, turn the next page. See what happens next. Come and see. And, and I'll... I'll That'll be more convincing as we go along here this morning. And so here's Andrew, Peter, the Peter, right? Like first and second Peter, Peter through Acts. Like his brother, this was Andrew, is the one that does this. And we talked about this last week, right? Andrew kind of gets very little airtime, although he's the one that kind of was the catalyst. I mean, aside from John and Jesus. But, um, and so he, he uh, tells them, and so they go and, and spend the time, right? And so here's where we get Andrew's declaration. So then verse 41, it says, he first found his own brother Simon, that's Simon Peter, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. So whatever the conversations were that evening, Andrew concludes, when he goes to tell his brother who he's found, he says the Messiah. I found the Messiah. This he doesn't say, I found the Lamb of God. Isn't that interesting? Didn't John the Baptist say, this is the Lamb of God? Wouldn't he have then just repeated it? But he doesn't. And this is what we're going to see as we walk through each of these people. Jesus interacts in our lives differently. We all have different places where we're coming from, different experiences. And so for some, the Messiah, the, this idea that you have a rescuer, this strong conquering God that has come to save you, that's what I'm going to cling on to. That's the aspect of Jesus I like. He's the Messiah. John the Baptist was like, I like the Lamb of God imagery. I like, I like calling Jesus the Lamb of God because that means more to me because of uh, what I know about my own depravity and sin, and I need to get rid of this. You see how they're different? And we're going to walk through each of these things, but this is where Andrew goes, he's the Messiah. 
Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament piece, right, the Messiah was long awaited. Genesis, in the fall, we read already about this promise of a seed that was going to come to rescue, to solve all these things, to make what's wrong right. And so the fulfillment of a Messiah, that's taking a lot of history going, this is him. This is who God has been talking about. This is the one that's going to come and conquer and, and, off, uh, you know, and cast off the oppression of the Romans and make everything good. This is the Messiah. And so that's what Andrew declares. Verse 42 says, he brought him to Jesus. This is Andrew bringing Peter. So he, he tells him, I've found the Messiah. He's like, dude, you got to come meet him, right? And he drags him to him. And it says, Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. But frankly, John, the author, doesn't spend a lot of time on Peter. That's it. In fact, Peter never even witnesses anything. It, he, it, it never, Peter, like, it ends with Peter. It's kind of interesting. I mean, I don't, don't want to read too much into it, but, but my list of people doesn't include Peter. Because Peter, that's it. That's, that's the end of what we know about what Peter, how Peter reacted. I don't know, maybe he was a little bit longer in trying to figure out what that means. What we do know is that Jesus changed his name, right? And he's like, I'm Simon. He goes, nah, you're Peter, right? He's like, okay. All right, so then we get to Philip. This is the next day, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. That's it. <laughs> Philip's following Jesus. We, we don't know any more about that interaction. Again, like, that's the limit of what we know. But look at what Philip does next. It says that now Philip was from Bethsaida the city of Andrew and Peter. This is on the north part of the Sea of Galilee. It says that Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. It says in verse, let's see, yeah, yeah. So what's his declaration here? He says he's the fulfillment. Everything that Moses has talked about and what the prophets have talked about, like this is him. So we don't know what the conversation was between Jesus and Philip, but you got to imagine that there was obviously enough conversation for him to expand the scriptures and to show him. You see this one? Here, here's the other interesting part, Right? We see Jesus do this a couple times. So the guy's on the road to Emmaus, right? He comes back and he opens their eyes and helps them understand the scriptures. He does it for the disciples too. After he's uh, crucified, resurrected, before his ascension, he comes back and he goes, let me show you why I'm the fulfillment of the scriptures. And he, takes, and he walks them through all that. And they're like, oh my gosh, I never, I never even saw all this, right? But here's Jesus doing the same thing to Philip before Jesus had done anything. He hadn't done anything yet. I mean, he had done a little bit, right? He was born miraculously. It's kind of an interesting piece. And so somehow Jesus is communicating to Philip everything that's been leading up 
to this point. And Philip's conclusion, his faith statement is what? Jesus is the fulfillment of all that we've been waiting for and all that everybody's talking about. That's where Philip goes. That's Philip's witness. Maybe he was more of an academic guy. <laughs> maybe, he, maybe he knew all of these different pieces and prophecies. And so for him, it was like very academic. And he's like, this is the part that I love. I like connecting the puzzle pieces. I like seeing that Jesus is the one that actually fulfilled each one of these things. And, you know, he's the one that, that has the website that has all the prophecies of Jesus, you know, or the prophecies about Jesus and the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, right? Like that would have been Philip. We didn't have computers. So that, all right, I don't need to talk about that. But look at what he says in verse 46. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So he questions it, and there's a bunch of like, kind of city-to-city rivalry type stuff, right? Um, and Philip said to him, come and see. And that's what he says. He doesn't, Philip doesn't go, all right, have a seat. Let me tell you all of this. He says, Dude, come and see him. Come and meet him. Come experience him. Come, come know the Jesus that I know. It's the same come and see. It's just like, hey, turn the page. What's next? What, what is Jesus to you? Who do you say that he is? What's your witness about Jesus? So then we see it, right? We just watched the video. If you've never watched any of that stuff, that's the Chosen uh, movie. Obviously, it's not verbatim scripture, okay? But I think it's good to kind of introduce us a little bit to maybe how it could have played out. And I think it's a beautiful, honestly, I think it does a very faithful job of portraying Jesus in a very human perspective, um, both as God and as a human going, like, like where he jokes, right? We don't, we, I mean, there, there's some sarcasm from Jesus in the Bible, but it's, it's kind of nice to, to see that, right, and to relate to him. And so this is the interaction that we get in verse 47. It says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, the chosen has this kind of backstory that they add in to, to, to kind of set up this thing. We don't, we don't really know what that means, other than Nathanael was under a fig tree at some point, <laughs> which must have been truthful, or else he wouldn't have declared what he declared, right? But Jesus saw him somehow, and it would have been impossible for Jesus to have seen him. That's all we can conclude based upon how Nathaniel ends up responding, right? Uh, if it was like, well, of course you saw me under the fig tree, it's right there. You know, then it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. So obviously it was a big deal to him. It says in verse 49, Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. This is Nathaniel's conclusion. He's the son of God. So we've got the lamb of God, we've got the Messiah, we've got the fulfillment, and then what we see is Nathaniel goes, he is God in the flesh. He is God dwelling among us. And we read this last week, right? That this was where John started the very beginning, right? He goes, he's the word of God, he's the light shining in darkness, he's gonna be dwelling with us, God with humanity. And so now he loops back around to that and Nathaniel makes the same declaration. You are the son of God. Of God. Because he knew 
where he was physically, and he knew where he was in his heart. He says, how do you know me? How do you know that I'm a truth teller or I'm not deceitful? How, how in the world do you know who I am? You see, it wasn't just that Jesus knew where he was physically. It's that he knows him. Who knows you like that? Nobody does. I love my wife. We've been together for a while. <laughs> but she doesn't know me like that. Nobody, nobody knows the deep recesses of our hearts and our brains and all sorts of the, all of this stuff, except the Son of God, except God himself. And so this is what Nathaniel leans on. He goes, I'll tell you who he is, because he told me where I was, right? He told me everything I ever did. Sound familiar? The woman at the well. Gene's going to be talking, preaching on that one here in a bit. Verse 50, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. So when we go and we witness and we give our testimony and we say, this is, who, this, is, this is how God's interacted in my life. This is how I know he's faithful. This is how I know who he is. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to stop short. It's not going to be everything that the, the individual you're talking to needs. So we say, come and see who Jesus is. Come discover who he is. And you're going to see greater things. Because only he can invade your heart. Only he can change your heart. That's the miracle. We so often talk about how we want to see God do miracles, right? He changes hearts. He rescues people. He takes people who are rebellious, who hate him, and they become lovers of God, and, they cha and he changes their affections. We've talked about this before. You can't change what anybody else likes or dislikes. You can't. You could try to convince them. I've used the analogy again, but I'm going to stop using it, because otherwise, you know, nobody, I never get tomatoes at my house anymore. But, you know, like, like you can't change what people like or dislike. You can't. It's impossible. You can't, with enough words, you still can't convince them that it's good. But God changes our affections. That's miraculous. And so the people that we interact with in our lives, right, the, the people that we run into, God goes, witness to them. What's your witness? What are you telling them that you know about Jesus? How has he interacted in your life? Because it's when you do that, that then they have an opportunity to allow God to interact in their life as well in a unique way, in a way that only they can see because none of these guys repeat what the previous guy said, which I think is just super cool, very intentional by John the author. It's not just Lamb of God, Lamb of God, Lamb of God. Yeah, okay, we all agree, same person. It's not, it's different, and it's different for each one of us. And so then Jesus concludes this conversation, and he ties back, and he, you know, and he, uh, in verse 51, he says, And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
I read that and I went, ooh, what? I don't know what that means. Go back to Genesis chapter 28, verse 12. There's a guy named Jacob who wrestled with God, who struggled with God, got a new name. His new name was Israel (laughs) after he did this. And look at what it says in verse 12. Is that what I was going to? Yeah, verse 12. And he dreamed, this is Jacob, and behold, there was a ladder set up on earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Look what he says in verse 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. This is what Jesus is is going back to and he's pointing to it. So they would have understood this, and I understand that we don't necessarily right away think about this. But what God's promise was here was to Jacob saying, Angels, ministering angels are going to be going ascending and descending to care for you. And we read this. This happens with Jesus in the desert, right? Like he, he has angels that minister to him, that serve him, that comfort him. And so what Jesus is saying is, you haven't seen anything yet. You just watch. You just watch as God continues to support me and encourage me and keep this going, this ministry, because what you're going to see is so much greater than me saying, saw you under the fig tree. And it's true. And we end up seeing it. And that's what Jesus' promise is to Nathaniel. And so what we see here is that John the author is saying, what do you say about Jesus? What are you saying? What are you saying to those in our lives? What do you say about these people? See, if, you, if you're not a, a follower of Christ in here, I would just encourage you to read this and go, what do you say? What, what's your conclusion? If you are a follower of Christ, I would say, what are you doing with your conclusion? Because this is what John says. Come and see. We should be inviting people. I mean, it's actually pretty cool that we've got uh, just a ton of guests here today, so, um, which is awesome because you were invited here probably by somebody, which is cool, right? But it's not just inviting to church, right? It's having a relationship with people. It's growing in our relationship so that we can then say, let me tell you about who I know Jesus to be. But we don't relegate it to just that. We don't have to wait until we've got a couple years under our relational belt before we can start talking to people. Look for opportunities. Go to your brothers, go to your sisters, go to your family. Tell them what you believe about Christ, because this is why we're here. I've said this many times, but if if the in-state goal was for you to become a follower of Christ, then you would have been sucked up into heaven the second you believed. You got a mission to do here, and we should want to. Because what's the reason for our hope? 
What's the thing that gives us endurance? What's the thing that gives us confidence in the dark days and the difficulties and in the struggles? What do we point to? We point to the cross. We point to Jesus Christ. We point to the good news that says that God is for us. Let me pray.